Well, I am really, really pleased to say that on the do the Godcast today is um, ex-professional footballer, uh, the one and only Andy Payton. Andy played 156 times for Burnley and he scored 81 goals. And he scored um, over 230 goals in a really fantastic career. He's played for Celtic, he's played for Huddersfield, Middlesbrough, Hull, Blackpool and Barnsley. Andy was brought up a Roman Catholic and I'm really uh, pleased to say that he's agreed to join us today to just have a, a chat about a few things, uh, football and faith. So, Andy, how are you today? I'm, I'm very good, thank you, Alex. And, uh, and thanks for inviting us on because uh, I've seen a couple of the, uh, you know, the interviews, uh, especially the Derek Scott one. Um, you know, with the Burnley connection, and uh, yeah, it's, it's really good. I'm I'm looking forward to it. So, where in the world are you today, Andy? Are you still in Burnley these days? Yeah, I live in Worsthorne. Um, I've got three daughters who um, who have always lived with me. Um, I they're they're obviously getting older now. You know, they're uh, 23, 21, and 20. My youngest is uh, due, um, so I'm going to be a granddad. Right. Uh, in about four weeks, four or five weeks. Um, you know, the girls are, uh, you know, they've, they've got their own lives now, etc. But, uh, yeah, so I'm living in Worston. I work down at Burnley College. I'm a football coach. Um, I do a lot of coaching with kids uh, every night. Um, well, prior to lockdown, unfortunately, you know, everything's had to stop. But, yeah, no, in a really good place and, um, and enjoying life, yeah. All right, well, let's go back to the beginning of the journey, Andy, when you were a young lad playing football. Who were your kind of uh, early day heroes as a boy? Well, I, I mean, I was brought up in Burnley. Um, I went to school in Paddyham. Well, I was actually brought up in Paddyham. Um, I went to Paddyham St. John's and Goldthorpe, and I was a massive Burnley fan. So I used to go on turf more, you know, week in, week out. Um, and, and looking back at the time, I think, you know, Billy Hamilton, Peter Noble, uh, Frank Casper, um, Martin Dobson, you know, the 70s era. Um, although I was obviously a young lad at that time, but, um, you know, they were my heroes and Burnley were my club. Um, and I watched Burnley um, avidly, you know, I was a, a Clarendon Blue, like everyone around here is, you know. Yeah. And and in terms of your, your ability, was that recognised quite early on? Were people making noises um, about you? Not really. I mean, I got in the town team as a kid. Um, you know, 10, 11. I was, I was very small um, uh, growing up as a child. So, and I, I tell this to a lot of the kids that I coach because um, I didn't get in the Lancashire team at 13. I went for trials. I got to the final trial, but I didn't get in. Um, I signed for Burnley at 14 as a schoolboy. Um, you know, nowadays they have academies where they're taking kids at five, six and what have you. Back, back in the day, you to be 14, but I signed for Burnley at 14. Um, so I was good enough to sign for Burnley, as it were, but um, but at 16, I got released and they took 10 lads on. Mm. And it was free. It was a YTS scheme. So... Um, How was that, Andy? How did that affect you when you were, was released by the club that you love? Really tough, really tough. Um, I, I felt as though I should have been taken on, but I mean, I weren't overconfident, but, the, the, you know, they... They, they took 10 lads on and released me. So um, it was really tough, yeah. So what I did, I, I, I mean, there was no internet then. <laughs> so I wrote to, I'd been for a trial at Hull City when I was 13 and I got offered something. I got offered to sign for Hull at 13 and, and I turned them down for Burnley. 
Um, so I wrote to every club in, in the northwest of England, probably to about 25 clubs. So I wrote 25 individual letters out. Um, and, and I got one reply off Hull City, who offered me a trial. Mm. And I went over to Hull for a week at 16. Um, and they offered me a one-year YTS, which was a government scheme, which was £25 a week. But what it meant were that I had to leave home at 16. Uh, and you're a kid, aren't you, at 16? But yeah, I mean, I took the opportunity and left home um, and went to Hull. And I was gutted, um, you know, that Burnley had released me, you know. Mm. But I think I used it a little bit to try and... The last thing I wanted to do, to get released again, you know. So I went off, I went to Hull at 16 and started my football career. Yeah. Were you one of those uh, guys at school that was good at everything? Andy, when I was at school, that we had a lad. I don't, you don't even know him. His name was Steve Manton. He, he was on Burnley's books for a while. I know, Steve, yeah. And he were a great footballer. We all thought he'd yeah. made it, make it. He didn't He didn't quite make it. But were you, were you good at uh, sports day? Were you good at uh, cricket and all that? No, I was all right at running and football. Football was my thing. I mean, I, I, mean, I just had a ball at my feet every you know, morning, noon and night. Um, but academically average. I left school with no qualifications because um, I, I got offered the YTS at Hull. But I don't think I'd have got anything anyway. I might have got, I don't know, one GCSE or something like that. So no, not really. But um, I was always very sporty. But uh, I remember Steve. Uh, he was year below me and he was a really good player. But... Um, I think he actually got signed on uh, and then got released, you know, and it can, it can be really tough for the players that get released. Yeah. Uh, Derek Scott described it as a conveyor belt. Some people get off it quite quickly and put, put, some people uh, make a full long career out of it, which is true, isn't it? Absolutely. It, it is a conveyor belt. Um, I mean, I was fortunate. Um, when I say fortunate, I mean, I'd, I'd had the rejection um, so, I mean, I played for 21 years. I mean, I played right up to 37. Um, and it, it is a conveyor belt. One thing about football is no matter what you did last season, you know, when the new season starts, it doesn't matter. You know, you're back to, as a striker as well, you're back to no goals again. Yeah. So it's a constant pressure and a constant, um, you know, a, um, well, a constant pressure. But, I mean, what a great lifestyle um, and yeah. what a you know, once once you um, you know, if you do make it, it's a brilliant lifestyle. Yeah. And just talk, just touching on the faith stuff, you I believe you're from a Roman Catholic family, is that right? That's correct. Yeah, I went to Padium St John's. Um, I remember uh, Holy Communion. Uh, I remember getting. Um, I think we had a Holy Communion day because St John's was this, the church and the school was sort of linked and yeah. still are. So some of our lessons at junior school were actually going into church. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've always had, um, I would say I've always had faith, uh, not massive. I'll be honest with you, uh, like I said before, my me, me brother died a couple of years ago suddenly and, and also my cousin who I was very close to died a few years ago. And it, it, I found faith a little bit hard, you know, especially when somebody suddenly dies. Um, but I've always sort of tried to um, believe in God and think that there is a God and, and hopefully that... Um, you know, whether it, whether it's a god or a higher power, I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, you like to think so. When I uh, interviewed Eamon Holmes uh, a few weeks back, he, he, he described being a bit of a lapsed Catholic, but he did say once once a Roman Catholic, always a Roman Catholic. Would you would you go along with that? 
Yeah, I think so. But I think, you know, you possibly get it instilled into into you as, as, as a kid, as a child. But I mean, I think um, as you get older, you realise, you know, a lot of things, um, you know, when you're doing the right things in life, um, you know, you tend to follow that path. And I think, you know, I think uh, Roman Catholic and, 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 you know, I kind of put it, you, do you understand what I mean? That when you're living correctly and everything else, yeah. you, you tend to follow those sort of rules. Yeah. and live a peaceful, yeah. happy life. Were your parents quite into church? Because most people of our generation kind of were, were quite regular, you know, it'd be a regular... Not really, no, I'll be honest with you. We didn't, we didn't go church. Um, the option was there, but... Um, playing football, I found it a little bit boring. <laughs> I think all kids, you understand what I mean, when you're going in singing hymns and, and what have you. Uh, but um, no, not really. Although... I think they've always sort of, you know, kept that little bit of faith. Yeah. So were your, was your parents, were they Burnley people, your parents, Andy, or did you come in from somewhere yeah, else? Yeah, no, no, my dad, Burnley born and bred, and my mum from Paddyham, and um, and they, I mean, they still, they've been married 54 years. Yeah. Um, and there a, and was there a sporting, uh, was your dad good at sport? Was he good at football? Or? No, my dad, my dad weren't really into football. They were into, um, you know, doing up cars and uh, and back in the day, you know, taking his dog out and stuff like that. So not really, no, they, they weren't. My granddad, um, I think, played football, not not to a professional level, but no, not really. They weren't much within the family. Yeah. All right. Well, just going back to the footy then, this, this trip to Hull, I suppose it must have been a bit of a lifeline for you and you must have been absolutely made up to get that that year. And, and I know people in Burnley kind of think, well, you just, you're just like it's Burnley through and through, but I would guess that Hull City's got a special place for you, has it? Oh, massively. I mean, I'll be honest with you, Hull City did give me that lifeline. Um, I went over there, and I remember um, the the first first training session. We got a new manager, a guy called Brian Horton, who went on to manage Man City, and yeah. and he just it was his first job, so he was a player manager. Um, they were also first and second year apprentices. So to create the dog-eat-dog lifestyle, I mean, the manager walked in the dressing room. There were 16 of us sat there. This was my very first day. He said, take a look around. He said, there's 16 in here. He said, I'm going to keep four and walked out. So straight away created that atmosphere. So although it was great times, and but the apprentices were all vying against each other, even though they, they were your mates, you know, ultimately, at the end of every 12 months, the, the, the club looked at it again. You either got taken on or you got released. Yeah. So you can imagine how um, they, they create the atmosphere because when, when you, you know, if you do make it into first team, you've got the crowd to put up with, you know what I mean, and, and the pressure. Mm. Um, and, that, and that's what it was like at Hull. But Hull definitely became my club. Because was, kept, he, was he true to his word? Did he take four or did he take more or less? No, no, he's true to his word. Um, I'll be honest with you, the, the group of apprentices we had at that time, seven of us got in the first team right. and hold the championship level. You know, um, he was a good manager and a good coach, but we had a good group, but it was uh, unbelievably dog-eat-dog, you know, yeah. all the way through. Um, the pressure was on. You know, even when you made it, like I say, I remember making my debut for Hull at 19. So I got released from Burnley at 16. Three years later, I made my debut in the championship for Hull um, against Leeds United. 
uh, I was fortunate enough to score and we won, but there were 18,000 on. Mm. So straight away, after my first game, um, it was, in the, well, the manager, what he did, he actually got some of the senior players to start calling me Billy Big Time, just to bring me right back down to earth. Right. Uh, so that's that's how it was. But um, I'd improved that much in the three years training every single day. I think people back in Burnley who'd seen the lad who got released were probably thinking like, you know, how's he playing in the championship now? Yeah. But yeah. Um, I'd grown as well. Yeah. Not massive, you know, 5'10 when I play, but, uh, and that's being kind, I think I was 5'9", 5'10". But um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd learned the game a little bit. Yeah. And and then, if we, I mean, we haven't got ages, so it's going to be a bit of a whistle stop, but uh, Celtic, I mean, um, when when Celtic come in for you, which is what, which is undoubtedly one of the biggest clubs in Europe, I talked to Derek Scott about when Celtic came down and played Burnley in the Anglo-Scottish Cup. I'll never forget that day, but, you know, particularly with the, the Catholic link as well, when Celtic came in, you must have been absolutely... Just absolutely buzzing. Well, I, I'll be honest with you. What had happened were I'd, I'd I broke into the first team at 19 at Hull. So in my first season in the championship, I got 18 goals. But I'd been scoring regularly in the reserves. We actually won the reserve league. So my natural progression into the first team. So then the second season, uh, we finished bottom of the championship. But I got 25 league goals. And I was only 21 years old. So a lot of clubs <coughs> excuse me, had started looking at me. Um, Celtic being one of them. I ended up going to Middlesbrough. Um, Hull got relegated. Middlesbrough came in with a record fee. So I went to Middlesbrough with their record signing. So I'd scored 57 goals for Hull in the first team before, before um, you know, a lot of interest were coming off a lot of clubs. Yeah. Middlesbrough. Yeah. Andy, who was, the, who was the gaffer at Middlesbrough at that time? Lenny Lawrence. We got promotion to the Premier League. Uh, and that summer, so I'd only been there nine months, Celtic came back in for me, and Liam Brady, uh, and you don't turn a club like Celtic down. I went up there for talks. They get 60,000 crowds. Uh, the, the changing room were full of internationals. So, um, I mean, one of the old firm games, I mean, I managed to score the winner in the old firm, uh, Trevor Stephen, who's one of my heroes at Burnley. Yeah. I got his autograph at 14 years old down on Gothard Lane. And he was stood next to me and I got the winner. And I, I felt like tapping him on the shoulder and saying, you know, can you remember me? Because I got your autograph down golf about 14, but obviously I didn't. But no, uh, no I mean, massive club, massive club. And um, I managed to score 20 goals for him in 46 games. I did well. Andy, Andy you do, you do realise, mate, don't you, that you just talked about your adulation for Trevor Stephen, but lots of kids... You were there, Trevor Stephen. What what's that like? It well, it's fantastic. I mean, when you know, I mean, getting that adulation off the kids. When I came back to Burnley, and I managed to score eighty-one goals, and and you know, and we, we got a promotion. I won the Golden Boot, uh, and I'm not giving it the big, and I'm just saying the you know the facts. But uh, I think one of the biggest things for me was when the club put my picture on the outside of the ground. You know, because a lot of kids see that. You know, and and uh, and the golden boots in the trophy cabinet, so the kids see that, and it's it's fantastic. It's a good feeling. Yeah. And what was it like up at Celtic? I mean, I suppose. I mean, I mean, to us in Burnley, Burnley's the greatest club ever. But 
you yeah. know, we realise we, we, we realize where we are. But I guess hundreds of kids must have come to see you train up at Celtic or... Oh, you'd have a thousand people watching you train. I mean, the, the you know, the sectarian... I wasn't... I mean, I was Catholic, but, I mean, they'd already started signing Protestant players or whatever. I mean, I think just prior to me, if you weren't Catholic, you wouldn't play for Celtic. But uh, just a massive club. I mean, we played in Europe, played at Dortmund, played at Cologne. Um, we came second to a really good Rangers team. And the manager ultimately lost his job. But the club itself is huge. Unbelievable. 60,000 home games. Just touch on that sectarianism a little bit, Andy. Did you feel it when you were up there? Did, you know, was it like, you know, you're not allowed to big up Rangers in any way? What, what was it like? Well, it was pure hatred. Was you it? know, we talk about Burnley and Blackburn. Um, which is massive rivalry, but up there, I mean, different level, absolute different level. I don't agree with it, obviously, but I mean, I I, I came from Burnley, so I, I wasn't involved in, you know, I mean, we'd have Irish internationals, Packy Bonner, the goalkeeper, is an example. So on the way to the game, they were playing all these Irish, um, I don't know what they call folk songs or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, it didn't really mean anything to me that playing for Celtic mattered, but but up there it was huge, you know, and um, real a real hatred between the two fans, which is not good. I don't like to see that, but uh, I think it still carries on today, you know. And um, yeah. uh, I just looked at it that I was playing football and nothing else, you know. Yeah. I think that's a good place to be. I mean, you know, I've not always been a, a vicar, and, and I've uh, I followed Burnley most of my life, and I have to say I've been to Ewood and Simbrovers at Burnley, it makes me really uncomfortable because it is quite tribal, isn't it? And it and it's yeah. quite it's quite intimidating and frightening, and it doesn't it doesn't completely make sense to me. So I try and focus on the game, but I, I can I can't imagine what it must have been like up there. Well, it was intense. It was the only game I I've ever played in where you couldn't hear your teammates on the pitch. Yeah. The noise was that loud, um, but the intensity before and after the game in the media. Um, was just frightening, really. Yeah. Um, but but it's all. I mean, it's all part of the game. I mean, it, it, you know. I mean, to have that experience makes you a better player. When you've got a game, when you've got a game like that coming up, when you know you're playing Rangers on Saturday, it, you know. I suppose there's an element as in an elite football about. Um, you know, I, I, I long time ago I was looking to be a stand-up comedian, and I was I got myself so pumped up. I was so full of adrenaline when I got on the stage. I was a complete disaster. So I suppose there's an element of self-control in what you're doing there. Is there in the run-up to a big match? Well, I mean, the build-up in the press is a week before. It's all about the old firm up there, obviously. I mean, without the two, you take Celtic, Celtic and Rangers out of Scottish football, uh, and it probably wouldn't really. It still exists, but I mean, you know, it's all about Celtic, Celtic Rangers. But uh, yeah, I mean, you've got to deal as a player with the pressure. Because yeah. night before yeah. an old firm game, you can't think about anything else. Yeah. Um, and and then also depending on what the result was, the aftermath of the either you've done brilliant, you've won, or you've lost, and it's a disaster, and you've got to cope with that, you know. But that's all part yeah. of being a footballer, you know, and uh, you've got to get used to it. Yeah. And whilst you're playing, whilst you've, you're on this journey, you're playing for Barnsley, uh, sorry, uh, for Hull and Borough, and then Celtic. Was it always your intention that one day you'd actually put the Clarendon Blue shirt on at Turf Moor? I'd always wanted to play for Burnley. Uh, having been rejected at 16, I'll be honest with you, I thought, well, they, they don't want me. So, um, and also, 
Yeah, the rejection. You, you feel as though it's never going to happen. I didn't think it was going to happen. The only reason I went to Barnsley is because Lee and Brady got sacked. Uh, and I just thought they were in the championship. They came in for me. I'd not played. I was back in the reserves. Lou McCory came in, and even though I'd finished top scorer, didn't fancy me. So um, when I came back down to England, uh, back in the championship at Barnsley, it's, it's unbelievable, really. So the first game I ever played at Turf Moor, even as a kid, because the school I played for, we never got to any of the finals or anything, so I never played on Turf Moor, was for Barnsley. And it was the year that Burnley went up um, in 94. Um, so there were 18,000 on it, the third home game. And and, uh, and Barnsley won one nil and I scored. Yeah. So my first ever exam, you know, playing on Turf Moor was uh, for Barnsley, but I didn't celebrate, I walked back. Yeah. Uh, out of respect for the club a little bit. But I never thought I'd play for Burnley, no. I, I just didn't think it were ever going to happen. So, just tell us how it came about. What what happened to get you to Turf? Well, I, I was at Barnsley for two years. I did well. I scored 47 goals in the Championship. Uh, the reason why I know how many goals I scored is because I was a striker and I feel as though any striker's got to know how many goals he scored. It's your job. So, it's not... You just know the facts. And any striker that tells you you don't know how many goals he scored... I don't, I don't get that at all. Um, we got, we got targets twenty goals a season, so it's part of my DNA in football. Anyway, so um, I've had two years at Barnsley. Huddersfield came in for me. Brian Horton, who signed me at Hull, was a Huddersfield manager. So I had a year at Huddersfield in the Championship. Burnley were struggling in the league below. Uh, I got twenty goals in the Championship that season. And I got a hernia operation in the summer. I was out for three months. Um, the manager, Brian Orton, got sacked. A new man came in, uh, a guy called Peter Jackson, um, who I'd fell out with a few times when I played against him. We were a big centre-half and we'd always have run-ins. He went to Huddersfield, didn't he? He went and got the Huddersfield job. Yeah. And when he got the job, uh, I'd, he didn't want me. Just because of run-ins we'd had in the past, it were weird. Uh, and I got a phone call. I'd been out for three months and I, I, I played a reserve game. And when I got home, it was January, uh, Burnley were bottom at league, at league below. He rang me up. He said, Chris Wogler wants to ring you. He said, Burnley have come in for you. So I was like looking at the league table, thinking like, of course I want to sign for Burnley, but they, they played 28 games. It were in January and they were bottom at league below. So what do I do? It was dilemma time. Chris Waddle rang me, uh, said, we really want to sign you. We need to get some goals. We've got to try and stay up. Um, and it took 24 hours thinking about it, just because I thought of my career and everything else. But it was Burnley Football Club and I couldn't turn them down. Um, and I signed. And uh, we, we, we beat Southend at home 1-0. I managed to score on my debut, um, the home debut. And um, we were still bottom of the league. And we stayed up that season. That was the season we stayed up. But once I put the Clarence Blue shirt on, it was I'd, I'd fulfilled. Yeah. I'd had the Celtic. I'd played in Europe. I'd already scored over 100 goals in my career. But I wanted to play for Burnley. So it, it sort of took me back to that kid yeah. that had all the strips at Paddy yeah. and St. John's. I love that. I love that, that yeah. you played for them. And, the, and but, but putting on the Clarence Blue. There's a yeah, couple of things there, Andy, if I can just uh, pursue. One was... 
uh, your fallout with Peter Jackson. What, what, what were you like to be managed? Were you a good lad or were you a bit, bit vocal? No, I thought it was okay, really. I mean, we, we always had massive characters within every dressing room. Um, it was banned. So you, you, you had to take it, you know, I mean, the lads would just destroy you for anything, you know. But no, I mean, my job, my job was to score goals. Uh, and I got that drummed into me at an early age. Um, you know, I mean, we could, it's a, it's a funny one for strikers because we could go away from home and win 1-0. I could score. The defence could have played absolutely unbelievable. I could have got a tap in uh, and get the headlines. But it wasn't my fault that I get the headlines, if you know what I mean. So it's always tough being a striker, I think, because ultimately, as well, you know, you've got to get the goals. But uh, no, I think I was good to manage. Yeah. I, I worked yeah. hard. I love the game, and and I think the fact that I played till I was nearly thirty-seven sums that up. Yeah, and um, I mean, I know Burnley fans, all Burnley fans, know that Chris Waddle was our manager. But a lot of people outside of the club might think, "Crikey, Chris Waddle!" They'll they remember him as a Absolutely fantastic footballer who played loads of times for England. But he came into Burnley and, and generally, I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but the feeling was a bit of an unmitigated disaster. What's your view? I think what happened with Chris, I think he'd been that used to playing at the absolute elite, you know, the top, top teams, that when he came in to manage Burnley, I'll give you an example. So we, my first game at home, we won. He gave us Monday off. We came in on Tuesday and had a five-a-side. We were still bottom of the league. He gave us Wednesday off, and that's how it were. There were too many days off, and the players he got weren't good enough. Um, and I think he'd just been used to dealing and being around the top, top international yeah. players. So he was he a brilliant in, footballer, weren't he? He was a superb Incredible. I mean, you look at his career, his caps, he played for Marseille. Uh, incredible player. And I'll be honest with you, he played for Burnley in a few of those games at the mm. end. When we stayed up and he was quality. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he just, he, an elite, elite footballer, found it hard uh, coaching players that weren't as good as him. Yeah. Great, guy, a, great guy. As a As an elite footballer and as all footballers, you know, age doesn't stop, does it? Time keeps moving on. And, and I suppose as you're going through the game and you're getting older, you're getting 35, 36, you must have known that the end of the career was on the horizon and I just want to ask you what's it like going through that you know you've lived the schoolboy dream you've played for some fantastic football clubs and you just know it's coming into a close was that tough for you I guess it was tough because one minute you I'll give you an example so when we got promotion and I won the golden boot I was 32 at 36 it was over I was 37 in the October my career was over Burnley, as a club, like all clubs do, sign new players. So the competition never stops. You know, we signed likes of Robbie Blake, Gareth Taylor, Ian Moore. They're good players, you know. Um, but you've got to realise in your head that it's coming to an end and it's really difficult. Um, in life terms, 36, 37 is not old. I wish I was 36 now. Um, but in football terms, it's over. And it's so hard to take because... It is over as well. You, you look at the, if you looked at a survey or whatever, or you counted how many players are playing now at 37 upwards, you're probably looking at what, under 10? If that, they might be under five. I don't know. So mentally, you've got to prepare yourself for it. And it's really tough. Um, obviously, I struggled massively. 
I think if I could have spoken to me now, the Andy Payton that you're speaking to now, or the Andy Payton for the last eight years, uh, could have spoke to the Andy Payton at 37, um, I'd have listened. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's tough. Because it, Andy, it was very well documented, and I don't know the full story, but Burnley's a small place, and people talk, and people say this and, the, and this and that and the other, and I don't think it's ever really been out there in the public domain, and it's a private matter, and I don't expect you to unravel every single thing, but it is well documented that after football, you went, your life went through a bit of a turmoil, and well, just just reflect briefly on that for us. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I think um, a lot of it for me, your identity changes and your purpose in life. So when I stopped playing football, um, don't forget I'd done it every day for 21 years. I got up, I went training, I had all the lads there, I had the camaraderie, I had a job, I had a purpose in life. And when you stop playing, that changes because everybody's perception of the Andy Payton that they know changes. You can't do it anymore. So I, I ended up um, with a drink problem. Um, I'd, I'd started going out in the town and, and, and drowning my sorrows and, and everything else. And it became a problem. And, um, and uh, probably for, what, five years, you know, from 37 to 42, I was struggling massively. Uh, I, was, I was also a gambler, um, you know, which was every club I played for, all the lads had a gamble and all that. So I'd end up most days in the bookies, uh, in the pub, and, and it's just a spiral downhill. Um, and, and that's what happened. Can I ask you, you know, we, you know, in all intents and purposes, you've gone from a hero to a bit of a villain, haven't you? What did that? Were you aware of that? You know, that was that part of the problem? You like how you might be perceived well, by other people. Well, I think when you're drinking, um, you know, I, like now it's really my reputation and and my, you know, how people. Pursue, um, perceive me is really, really important. You know, I work down at the college and I want people to show me, you know, respect. Uh, you've got to gain that respect. You know what I did, because all from Burnley, I mixed with the lads and, and I go out with the lads and end up being one of the lads and you, you just can't do it, you know. But, it, you know, I mean, I've had eight years, you know, it was eight yeah. years ago, I went to eight years ago, so I feel as though I've, I've, I've turned everything around, but the biggest thing for me were when I came out of football, I did not know what to do with my life. I had no idea. No. Andy, have you have you not your mic at all? It your sounds the sounds just dropped out a bit. Have you not your microphone at all? Uh, I don't think so. Can all you right. hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Yeah. Yes. Carry on. Sorry. Yeah. So yeah, so you've you have been eight years clean, you said. So that must be um can you just talk about because I deal with um I come into contact with a lot of people who are they're actually living addiction at the moment and they're struggling now. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm currently in the process of doing a book uh, talking about this, not about my career, a little bit about my career, one chapter, say, but the rest about recovery. I didn't go through AA, but I hit rock bottom. Um, my rock bottom was um, where I felt as though I just lost everything, everyone's respect. You know, I'd been done for drink driving. Um, I mean, everything fell apart for me. Um, and it was all through, you know, everyone's reputation. Uh, sorry, my reputation in Burnley had just gone downhill. I was just probably known as a drunk, um, which which I didn't uh, I didn't enjoy, obviously. And and I wanted to pick myself up from that, you know. And um, 
when you do it rock bottom, you, you, you either go one of two ways. You, you, you either want to change, um, and, 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 and the change that I need to, needed to make was to stop drinking and stop gambling. And also socially, there's drugs out there, which you all know about. Um, and I was doing, I was doing that, you know. And it's a massive problem in not just in Burnley, but in a lot of towns. Were they? Uh, how was the football fraternity with you, Andy? Did they abandon you, or did they? Was the people who threw their arms around you? No, you don't hear anything from the club or from the PFA. I know there's a lot more help nowadays, but back then, no, you, you know, you didn't want to go and. They, there was no help. Once that door shuts from Burnley Football Club or whatever club, that's it. It's over. Um, and, and a lot of players find that. And, and let's be honest, a lot of players, three of the lads that I was a, an apprentice with at Hull ended up in rehab. I never went to rehab. Um, I was fortunate. Well, when I say fortunate, my rock bottom was, was losing everything. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, I'd, I'd paid for a house when I finished playing football. I lost that, you know, through... You know, um, probably gambling and one thing or another. You know, like I say, I've got this book coming out, which will um, sort of talk about that, and but also talk about that you can change your life around. Mm. And, and I really have, you know, through through stopping doing those things. But no, there's no help from the club or anything. They weren't I mean, there. I'm, I'm a pretty. I try to be a straight talker, but I know, and I know those problems have been awful. But I still think that people of Burnley love you. They still want the best for you. And I just want to use your voice for people out there because there's a lot of folk in Burnley with this addiction problem. It's not, it's not unique to superstars and footballers. What would you say to somebody now who, who might watch this and just think, God, there's Andy Payton, he's been through that. What would you say to somebody who's in it now? Yeah, well, I've, I've, sport, I've, I've put things on social media about people, you know, get in touch with me and, and try and have a chat. you got to talk to people, you know, you need to let people know what's happening. But ultimately, it's got to come from you. You've got to be the one person who wants to stop. Seek help if you can. Um, like I say, fortunately or or unfortunately or whatever, I didn't go through AA. But my rock bottom was that law. You know, I ended up with nothing. Mm. Um, and 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 that was when I say nothing. Like I say, it's going to be documented in the book I've got coming out. But you've got you've got to you've got to want it so badly that you you stay away. You might have to change your circle. You know, you, if, if, it's, if you've been going to the pub on a regular basis, you can't do it. No. You know, if you want to stop drinking, you're not going to sit in the pub. If you, if you want to stop reading, don't go into library. Yeah. You know, I don't know, you know, things like that. Yeah. Uh, but you can stop and you can change your life around and there is hope. Well, you've come through it and you're doing some great stuff down at the college. I know I cook my girlfriend's, uh, uh, sorry, my daughter's uh, boyfriend is Cameron, who's a uh, goalie down there and, Speaks yeah, highly of you, and uh, but um, and so this coaching. Looking forward, I know you dabbled over at Garstang. Do you want to get? Would you got a desire to get back into pro football? Or well, I'll be honest with you. It took me five years to do my coaching badges, so I've gone right through to UA for a license, and all this is after eight years ago. So I'm I'm quite proud of the fact that I've done that. If I'd have stayed in. When I finished playing, I didn't want to be a coach. I was still a player in my head. So I had to come through that. You've got to have a bit of a change mentally. So it's not about you anymore. It's about coaching. I love coaching. Um, I've got the qualifications behind me too. So like, you know, if a job came at Burnley, uh, a full-time job, I could apply for it because of the fact they've got me away for a licence. 
So I'm really proud of that. You know, it's something that I've, I've done and it takes a long time to get. Uh, the Garstang thing, they offered me the job. I went in there. Uh, it's really tough teaching, uh, sorry, coaching players that are on £20 a week because on a Friday night, they're not stopping in. So yeah. it didn't last long, uh, but I, co I love coaching the kids. I yeah. coach kids every night. I suppose um, that's a bit of a Chris Waddle kind of thing, isn't it? You, you, want, you, want, yeah. you need good players to coach. And, and I mean, I'm not knocking anyone at that level, but I could still play at that level now. Yeah. That is a fact. Yeah. I, I wouldn't get anything out of it at my age, but I could. But, I'm, uh, you know, I mean, I, I just love coaching in general. I could go back into a different group of players and yeah. coach them. I've got the qualifications to prove that. But, um, you know, I, I, like, I like to say I love coaching the kids. They've still got dreams. They still want to be footballers. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah, it's a big part of my life. And I've got that back, what I lost when I came out of football. Yeah. Because I couldn't play anymore. No. But now I love coaching. And just looking across the football horizon at the moment, Andy, which strikers are you absolutely think are absolutely top-notch at the minute? Well, you look at your Vardys and people like that. I mean, um, you know, Vardy came from non-league. He had rejection, like myself. Uh, he won the Golden Boot last season. He's got pace. You know, I, I like Vardy. You look at Harry Kane. You know, I, I managed to get over 200 goals. And I think any striker that, you know, if you're looking at benchmarks for... Top strikers, you know, a lot get over 100, but not a lot get over 200. No. Now, the absolute top, top ones, you know, like the Alan Shearers, who got over 300, you know, I mean, there's some fantastic players out there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Vardy stands out for me in the Premier yeah. League. And our strikers aren't bad at Turf Moor, are they? They're, they're pretty decent, well, aren't they? Of course they are. Yeah, of course they are. You know, I think Burnley being in the Premier League is fantastic. You know, um, we're struggling at the moment, as everyone knows. Hopefully we can come through it. Um, it's going to be a tough season because we've not really spent anything. Uh, if we do get injuries to key players, that's when the struggle will start. Yeah. But yeah, of course. I mean, Burnley in the Premier League is is, is incredible. Yeah. And they've done really well. Yeah. Andy, it's been really fabulous chatting to you. I admire your honesty. Um, you remain. I, I said to you before the interview, you were absolutely hero of me, dads, because you were. You, you're known as the paddy and predator. God, blimey, you knew where the back of the net was, buddy, didn't you? You really oh, did. I'll tell you one thing, Alex. When I say this to the kids, I coach, I, I work really hard. I, you know, I, I, I put the practice in, you know, day in, day out, and I improved. Because don't forget, like I said, at 16, I got told by the club that I love, I weren't good enough. So, um, you know, to turn it around and be, you know, to have had a career there, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of that. Yeah. Andy, thanks so much for your time. Um, I'm so glad you're well. You're looking well. Um, and I know Burnley fans will watch this and other, other clubs will be pleased to know you're doing well. And uh, thanks so much for your time and uh, send our love to you from St Matthews. God bless. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Thanks a lot for the interview. Much appreciated.